As a kid, this was my least favorite kind of math to have to do. One $8 thing of cotton candy at the carnival and three walling boys. How do you divvy it up? None of us wanted to share, but of course, my parents were not going to spend $24 so each of us could get a cavity by ourselves. So then this would begin the appeals process where we would figure out the pecking order and who got what. And uh, we all had a different approach. My middle brother would often appeal to behavior. And so Riley would say things like, well, you know, I was good all day, but Taylor, he got in trouble by the funnel cake, so he should get less. I should get more, which I did not appreciate. My youngest brother, Spencer, would appeal to equality and he would say, hey, there's three of us. Let's just make it equal. And he would say that because he's the youngest and he never got as much of us. So if it was equal, he'd make away like a bandit. I had what I thought was the most unbiased and logical approach. We should do it based on who's oldest. They should get the most. Who's oldest? Oh, I happen to be oldest. So that makes sense to me. And so, you know, I'm older, so I need more of this for nutritional value. That's why I need these calories. And my middle brother, he's two and a half years younger than me. He gets some. And Spencer, the youngest, he's, he's seven and a half years younger than me. And he was kind of su- a su- surprise for you guys. So let's give him nothing. That was basically my logic. But all of us would take this approach of trying to figure out. And we were trying to find the best possible answer to this question. What do I get? And Jesus responds to that very question with this week's parable. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 is where we're going to be. And while you're turning there, I want to welcome everybody who's with us live here at our North Richland Hills campus. Or if you're watching online or maybe listening later on podcast, we love that you're spending some time with us today. We're in week three of a series called It's Like This, Parables in Matthew. And each week we've looked at a parable and we've kind of have a a foundational definition for that word. Parables are ingeniously simple word pictures with profound spiritual lessons. So we've looked at each of these word pictures each week and we've kind of pulled out the spiritual truths that are within them. And this week I want to give you some context before I read this week's parable of when the what do I get question happened. It was just a little bit before in Matthew 19 and it was when... Jesus was having a discussion with a man who had asked how he could gain eternal life. And Jesus and him talk, and then this guy leaves, and all the disciples, they've watched this interaction. And so Peter speaks up in verse 27, in, verse 9, in chapter 19, and he says, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? What do I get? So Jesus, he begins to answer. And in verse 29, he says what I think Peter wanted to hear. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But then he adds this caveat. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And right after this little discussion in response to what do I get? Jesus tells this parable. So I'm going to read all 16 verses and then we'll unpack it. Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? 
because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And Jesus concludes, so the last will be first and the first will be last. So this scene in this parable for this week, it's pretty familiar to the disciples. There's lots of vineyards around and it was not uncommon for vineyard owners to go and go into the marketplace and find day laborers, especially during the harvest, because then the fact that the the landowner goes out again at nine and at noon, this could happen sometimes if it was harvest season. Because there's only a limited amount of time to bring in the crop before the weather changes and, and you, you lose some of your harvest. So you had to get extra workers. But then 3 p.m. and 5 p.m., these are less likely scenarios that a landowner would go out and then pay everybody the same thing. But it sets Jesus up for the point he wants to make. Now, the landowner pays all of them a denarius. That was the agreed upon wage for one day of manual labor. In those days, a Roman soldier made one denarius a day one day of work, in addition to all the other benefits as a soldier and a manual labor. They, they made that. So it's not a very generous pay, but it's also not skimpy. It's just standard. But this brings us to an interesting reality with this parable. See, week one, Matthew 13, we had this long explanation from Jesus where he interpreted his own parable about the sower and the seeds and the soil. And then in week two, we had very short, simple parables about the treasure in the field and the pearl. These were self-explanatory about the worth of the kingdom of God. But this week, we're encountering a parable that's similar to others in the gospel that's a little bit longer. And it doesn't have a verse by verse explanation from Jesus. And so we've got this proverb at the beginning and at the end. The first will be last. The last will be first. And we'll come back to that. But before we do, I, I want to point out what I think is an overarching takeaway from this parable. Here's how I'd put it. God's grace overwhelms the unworthy and offends the entitled. Then in, in God's kingdom, grace is always overwhelming to those who are unworthy and always offensive to those who are entitled. So let's start with the first concept that grace overwhelms the unworthy. We've got a, a group of laborers who are hired at different times in the day, and yet they all walk away with the same pay, including people hired at 5 p.m. Now, the workday was... Traditionally, about 12 hours. So those first workers, they've been working since 6 a.m., 6 to 6. Meanwhile, you've got people hired at 5 p.m., work one hour and get paid the same. And when the landowner goes and finds these workers and asks, hey, uh, why are you standing around doing nothing? They say, because no one hired us, which makes me ask, what's wrong with these people? Like, 
Maybe they were the kind of people who weren't trustworthy. And when they got hired, like they had a reputation for things disappearing the day they got hired. Maybe they were people who had some kind of a physical defect, like it was just obvious for manual labor. They had some kind of a a, a limp or an injury. And and it was clear they weren't going to be able to work that hard in the vineyard. Or maybe they had some kind of a criminal background and that's why they couldn't get steady work. And so nobody would trust them. Regardless, these were the kind of people that everyone avoided. And yet this landowner does what no one else would really do, which is hire them at 5 p.m. and then give them a full day's wage. And he didn't promise it up front. It's only when they are brought to the front of the line, paid first, which would never happen. You'd let those 6 a.m. workers get paid first, but they come, they come last, they get paid first, and they get a full day's wage for one hour's work. Overwhelming grace for these unwanted people. Because in God's kingdom... And we can safely say that the landowner, the vineyard owner, is a representation of God. In God's kingdom, he goes after the people on the fringe, the unwanted, the social outcast, and and the people that everyone else wants to avoid. He goes and says, here, you come with me. Because grace, in God's terms, it always overwhelms those who are unworthy. It makes me think about James 4, verse 6, in which it says, He, being God, gives grace generously. And as the scriptures say, this is a proverb, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, grace, it always overwhelms in God's kingdom to those who are unworthy. And I thought about it, was trying to think of an example. And so this is from my life. It's a little bit embarrassing to tell. But this is a time recently when I was overwhelmed by grace. So there were a few weeks where I was really busy and I had just I had every excuse why I did not want to mow the lawn. Uh, It was too hot outside or I'd have to get up too early to beat the heat or I was too busy or we were traveling and the backyard. It started looking like a jungle. I mean, we have a neighborhood cat that sometimes come back, comes back there and chases squirrels. And it started looking like a lion in the African brush with how bad it got. But the backyard, it was much worse than the front yard. But the front yard was still getting pretty embarrassing. And I'd walk out and I'd look and I think my neighbors must think I'm the laziest guy. Like, what's wrong with this guy? He's healthy. He's not mowing. And one day my wife and I were getting ready for an appointment and all of a sudden I hear my wife's voice and she goes, Taylor, what? Someone's mowing our yard. It's like, oh no. And so I rush back and I see that she's looking out the back window to the backyard jungle and she's looks and I look and I see it's our neighbors who we've only known for a couple of months. Like they're relatively new to the neighborhood and we've only talked with them a handful of times. And uh, and the mom and one of her sons are back there and they have two mowers like they borrowed a mower somewhere to attack this jungle that I left in the backyard. Then I look in the front yard and I see the dad and he's with the other son and they are edging the yard in the front and it's already been mowed. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, they're like this servantly SWAT team that has descended on us. And I go outside to thank them and I just I had no words. I just hugged the dad and I said, thank you. And we had to go to an appointment. So I felt even more guilty when we just left. Like, (laughs) I felt so overwhelmed with how kind they were being. And what's funny is, you know, they're people who know Jesus. So this did not surprise me. But they know that I know Jesus. So it's not like they were trying to save me. Like, they're just being nice. It blew me away even further. So I did an experiment this week. I wrote to some friends online and I asked them. When's the last time you were overwhelmed by grace? When was that time? And I got some pretty incredible responses. I heard from someone who wrote and and they said, you know, I made some mistakes in my marriage. And I had an affair. And when my spouse found out, I was waiting for the divorce papers. 
And instead, my spouse forgave me. We were reconciled. And then they prayed about it and decided they were going to share what God had done in their marriage with their community group. But for this person, it meant sharing the mistake that they'd made. And they wondered and worried about the relationships changing, being judged, being treated differently. These were valued relationships and and putting them in jeopardy by sharing this mistake. But they bravely got in front of their community group, told what had happened. And this person had tears in their eyes as they shared. And then they wrote and they said, I looked up and I saw tears in the community group members' eyes, my friends. But not tears of judgment or disappointment, but tears of forgiveness and acceptance and love. They're overwhelmed by grace. I heard from someone else who was facing a few years in in jail and and through a miraculous turn of events and a gracious judge ended up with probation. Thankful for it every day. I heard from another family and the dad had a really serious pill addiction that he battled for a very long time. And they had two daughters and one day the mom happened to see something orange in the mouth of one of her daughters. And it was a very potent, dissolvable pill that her husband had been abusing. She got most of the pill out, but plenty had dissolved in this child's mouth. And all of a sudden, this little girl becomes unresponsive. So mom and dad are begging for their daughter's life as they rush her to the hospital and wonder if she's going to make it. Both heaping guilt on themselves and realizing that they're the cause of this trouble and this pain. And and amazingly, the daughter survived. And along with, with the note, they sent me a picture of their daughter who's alive today and well. And they're overwhelmed by grace every day. That she's alive. I heard other stories I don't have time to tell, but one of them was just, it was uh, too good not to share. And thankfully, this person was ready to tell their own story. So I want you to watch this. Charlie Taylor had asked me to come to the new member meeting. And when I got there, I found out that they actually split it off into three groups at the end to have an elder pray over each new member. But when it actually got to me, I broke down. Sorry, that was hard for me to say. My wife and I had been trying to have kids for four years. We were regularly attended church. We were very devout Christians. But eventually you start to question and you start to have that doubt of why. I was still coming to church. I was studying the Bible. I was talking about God. But in my heart, I don't know that I truly trusted God. The next Wednesday, we were going to find out if this round of IVF had taken and we were going to be able to have a child and be blessed with one. And so when it got to me, tears just started to flow. Because I wanted it so bad. I wanted nothing more than for my wife to have the opportunity to be a mother and for me to be a dad. And so my prayer and my request to Phil Martin was, please let us have a child. Please let us pray for us to have a child. Please let God let us have a child. But if he doesn't, show us the way and show us what path he has for us so that he can use our journey to help others. It was an interesting moment as a Christian because I I really, for the first time, felt something like God was taking a bucket of his grace and dumping it over my head. Because even though I still cried, I felt a peace. It was the feeling you have when your mom or dad wraps their arms around you saying everything's going to be okay. Because I knew regardless of what happened, that it may not be what I want, that God had a plan. And that was, it was, it was the most amazing feeling I've ever had in my life to just finally pour the most rough moment in my entire life out to God and let other people pour it out for me. The next day I woke up very calm, 
And when that Wednesday came, I was very calm. The doctor finally called and told us not only were we pregnant, but we were super pregnant. We had twins. What's it like seeing God's grace? I get to come home and see it every day of my life. These are our living examples that the Lord provides when you allow Him to bestow His grace on you. Praise God. So awesome. And I, I love that. Super pregnant. Because when God shows His grace in the kingdom, He does not skimp. He doesn't dole it out in small portions. He is abundantly gracious to the unworthy. But it wouldn't be a fair treatment of this parable to just stop there. Because just as grace overwhelms the unworthy, it also offends the entitled. And the way Jesus ends this parable with the dialogue back and forth between these workers and the vineyard owner, it, it reveals this. And I want you to listen back to the reaction to those 6 a.m. workers, first hired, who worked the longest. And what happens when they see that the, the 5 p.m. unwanted workers get paid a full day's wage for one hour? Starting in verse 10. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now their attitude and the vineyard owner's response they bring about what I, I'm going to kind of call two different warnings about entitlement and comparison. So let me start with the first. Entitlement warps how we see God and how we see ourselves. Inside the kingdom, when we become entitled, it, it warps and changes how we see God and how we see ourselves. Do you hear these, these workers? They begin to grumble right away because they expected to receive more. And now all of a sudden they don't think that the vineyard owner is being fair because it's like, hey, we thought we were going to get more because of what you did for them, even though, yeah, we did agree upon just one denarius. But they think that God's being unfair. And some of us have a warped sense of God's justice when someone else gets a, a better end of the deal than we thought we were going to get. Then they, they talk back through everything and they explain it all to the, the vineyard owner as if somehow he doesn't understand the choice that he's made. And many of us, we can get to the place where we're explaining everything back to God, like surely you've made a mistake because it's warped our ability to trust in his wisdom. But more than that, these these workers, they try and appeal to a higher standard of quote unquote fairness, like fair work means fair wage and this is unfair. And the challenge is the vineyard owner's right. This is his property, his money. He can do what he wants. And I think that's Jesus's way of saying, look, I, I don't want you to believe that in the kingdom of God, we're going to have a pecking order in the way that you think the standards of man and the, the rules at play in the common marketplace. They do not apply in the kingdom of God because it's the king's kingdom and the king gets to choose what he wants to do. But the challenge is we get warped in our view of God when we get puffed up in our view of ourself. See, at its root, entitlement is when you're more confident in the work you've done rather than the work God's done in you. Do you hear these these workers as they talk to the vineyard owner? They have a lot to say about what they've done because they are puffed up with pride. Swollen with their sense of sacrifice and accomplishment. Hey, we, we worked all day and, and, and in the heat, too, as if they were surprised by this. 
Like they're, they're, they're day workers. They know they got hired at 6 a.m. They know the work day. They do this all the time. They know it's going to get hot. Why is it a surprise? But they're touting it like, hey, we did exactly what you told us to do. And we did what we knew we were going to do. So we should get extra. We should get more now because they think they're accomplished. They think they've sacrificed a lot. And more than that, they think that they're superior to those 5 p.m. unwanted workers. Did you hear what they said? You've made them equal to us. And parenthetically, they're saying, and we're better than them. We've sacrificed more. We've done more. We're worth more. We're better than they are. And the danger is, inside of the kingdom of God, if we begin to create a hierarchy that's not in Scripture and that wasn't laid out for us, but is based on our idea of fairness or our concept of I was here for first, therefore I'm most important and what I say goes, I've sacrificed more, therefore I should be compensated more, then we're misunderstanding the economy of the kingdom, which is built on grace for the unworthy, not on rewards for the entitled. We've absolutely missed it if we're in a kingdom in which we're being led by someone who said the son of man, when Jesus came with all authority and he could have had everyone serve him, he said the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And yet entitlement makes us totally miss this. And more than that, a warning about comparison, because when we're entitled, we're inevitably comparing with other people and comparison spoils contentment. Any other day. These people would have been grateful because they're day laborers like they don't have regular work. And in their in that culture, you're, you're better off being a slave because with a slave, there's laws to protect the slave and to provide for the slave, to make sure the master has shelter. And there's a be, there's a benefits package essentially for the slave, but not for the day laborer. There, there is no protective laws. There's no, you know, like a mandated insurance like you're just working for subsistence pay to make it day to day. So any other day they would leave and they'd be grateful for what they had. But because they saw what happened to these 5 p.m. workers paid first, they can't walk away grateful. So let me tell you a little parable to kind of further explain this parable. This is a paraphrase of a story told by a pastor named Tim Keller. He says that there was a a kingdom and inside this kingdom there was a gardener who grew uh, an incredible carrot. And so he brought it to the king and he said, my, my Lord, the king, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown or ever will grow. And out of my love and respect for you, I want to give it as a free gift. Well, the, the king thanked him and discerned the man's heart. And so as the gardener was about to leave, the king said, wait, I see that you are a great steward of the earth. You know, I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you as a free gift so that you can garden that land. And the gardener was overwhelmed and said, thank you and left. That day, a nobleman was watching this exchange. And so he thought to himself, if that's what you can get for a carrot, what could you get for something better? So the next day, the nobleman parades in in front of the king with a beautiful black stallion and says, my lord, the king, this is the greatest horse I have ever bred or ever will breed. And out of my love and respect for you, I want to give it to you as a free gift. But the king discerned the man's heart. And so he said, thank you, and accepted the horse and dismissed the nobleman who stood there confused. And the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. You see, in the kingdom, when we begin to live in entitlement and comparison, we walk through kingdom life based on trying to answer the question like a kid for cotton candy. What do I get? 
And the challenge is that's based off the standards of this world. And our faith becomes warped and sad when we live from that perspective. Jason, come up here for a second. Okay, we started this lesson with cotton candy. And cotton candy at its root is it's just like 99.99999% sugar. And hot air. Like, that's all that it is. There is no substance in cotton candy. And so I've got an example here. And here's the thing. As a kid, when I, when you looked at cotton candy, didn't it look so big? You know, they put it on those cones, the little skinny little cones, and it looks like this huge thing, like a, you know, pink permed hair or something. And you're looking at it and you're like, even as a kid, you're like, this is so big. How awesome. But it didn't take me very many years before I realized there's not as much there as you think. And so if I took this cotton candy and I actually squashed it down to what's really there and got rid of all the puffed up sense of authority and a puffed up sense of sacrifice and a puffed up sense of worth, then I'd realize that when we come into the kingdom and we tout our sacrifices and our good works and how great we've been, then our faith is just a sad little sugar ball with no substance. Like nobody wants this. It's just gross. And and then... On top of entitlement, when we live in comparison with others, we spoil our ability and it's like water on cotton candy, which just turns into sad, nasty Kool-Aid. And so like besides the nine year old in here who's like, "Ooh, sugar water, nobody wants this. This is so gross. And in fact, like like if, if anybody were to ever like choose to drink this or do something with it like that, it's so disgusting. No, Jason, no. Oh, wow. That is gross. Now, all of us reacted. Yeah, give Jason a round of applause for that. It was amazing. All of us reacted the same way when we saw Jason do that. And do you know why? Because that's not how cotton candy is meant to be eaten. It's disgusting. It's gross. It ruins it. And when Jesus hears this question from Peter, what do we get? This parable is told in response as if to say, Why would you do that? Like, why would you smash up cotton candy and pour water on it and then drink it? That's gross. It's not meant to be that way. And in the kingdom, we're not meant to live in entitlement and comparison with others. We're not meant to be full of our good works and tout that as some reason for compensation. And we're not meant to live in comparison and think, oh, man, I don't I don't I don't think it's a fair shake that they get the same kind of grace that I do when I've lived a better life or when I've been in the church longer or when I've been when I've been this way and God's giving them that kind of favor. Because then we forget. And Jesus is saying, why would, you, why would you live that way? In a kingdom built on serving others, why would you live trying to get higher up, higher up on the ladder? And these disciples, they fail to get it like so many of us fail to get it. Because we live in a world in which, as a kid, I did not need to be taught how to jockey for position to get more of the cotton candy. That comes in our bones. And it's perpetuated in our lives. And it doesn't take long to go from a kid with cotton candy to an adult with a paycheck or a raise, with a, a kind of life. And you live, you live your life and you, and you look online and you're always living in comparison with others. And you're looking at how God's blessed them or what vacation they got to go on or what's going on with them. And, and you're always questioning Or maybe you've just been at church for a really, really long time and you've been in the kingdom. And like the disciples, you feel like, man, I was here first. Like, why why are we letting this church change? Why are we doing things this way? It happens in tons of communities all around the country in which we begin to forget that the kingdom is not an economy based on works for wage. It's an economy that's based on overwhelming grace for the unworthy. 
That's the economy that Jesus lays out in this parable. And and so let me ask you this question. Something for you to wrestle with this week. Has entitlement or comparison stopped me from living graciously and gratefully? These early workers, they're, they're not able to live graciously because they see what happens. And they don't realize, man, this 5 p.m. workers that nobody wants to hire, they were in desperate need of some grace. They were in desperate need of some help. But they miss it. And those, on top of that, it, it, it stops them from being able to walk away grateful. God, thank you for another day's pay. Thank you for another opportunity. And it prevents them from being able to do that. And really, in, in gospel terms, if we really wanted fair's fair in the kingdom, you don't actually want that because what would happen is we would receive the judgment and the punishment and the rejection from God and death and eternity in hell. That's what I've earned. Those are my wages, Taylor's wages, all by himself. But instead, Jesus came to earth and he lives this perfect life. Fully God, fully man. He doesn't make a single mistake. He does all the work. And then, and then he dies the death that I deserved. And he gets rejected. And he gets persecuted. And he gets spat on. And he gets crucified. And now I'm attributed with his reward. Because this parable is not about us working in the kingdom to earn eternal life. This is Jesus' way of humbling those who are proud. And giving hope for those who are hopeless. Because grace always overwhelms the unworthy. And this world that we live in, oh Lord, this world that's full of division and violence and hatred and and all kinds of trouble. Every time we look at the headlines, this world does not need more people who will show up and say who gets to be on top and who's on the bottom. This world does not need more people who will show up and say, what do I get? This world needs more people who show up and say, how can I give? This world needs more people who will say, how can I serve? This world needs more people who live in grace and gratitude, not in entitlement and comparison. When we live in grace and gratitude, we'll be a light for Christ in every arena. And that is what we're called to as kingdom workers. But but the caveat that Jesus says before and after this parable is that the last will be first, the first will be last. And it sounds like a reversal. Like those workers at 6 a.m. aren't going to get paid. But obviously everyone gets paid the same wage. Because in the kingdom of God, no one gets less than they're promised. But everyone gets more than they deserve. And so it's not a reversal. Think of it more as a foot race where 12 runners have an exact tie. And they take the picture like they will at the Olympics. And everyone's lined up perfectly. And it's a tie. And when you show the placements... People who are in first place are in last place. People in last place are in first place. Everyone's at the same place. And it's the same thing for us because there's level ground at the foot of the cross. And there's no place for entitlement. There's no place for pride. There's only place for grace and gratitude. And God, thank you that there's grace for all of us. Let me pray over you. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for your abundant grace and mercy. For the way that you've shown us through Jesus that you give grace an overwhelming abundance to the unworthy. And for the warning for those of us who've become entitled, who've gotten to a place where we're more confident in what we've done than what you've done in us, God, forgive us. Humble us again. You are unchanging. And you are more than just. You are generous and gracious. 
And so let us pour out affection and love to you, not in hopes of receiving something back, but instead knowing that you are faithful and that you've promised a victory in Jesus Christ. Let us trust you more because of that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Response team, you can take your place at this time. I, I, know, there's, I know there's people in this room who, who, need, who need prayers. And maybe, maybe it's for the season that you're in. Or maybe you want to talk to somebody about what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Or just want to understand more about faith. These people are ready to talk and pray with you. And, and if you feel that tug from the Spirit that you need to step forward and pray with someone or talk to someone, don't, don't resist the Spirit. While we worship, while we pour out praise to God who is unchanging, come.